Chapter Thirteen of the Wonderful Bed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wonderful Bed by Gertrude Nevels. Chapter Thirteen: The Bad Dreams. At first, the children's view was entirely shut off by the size and heaviness of the things that were sitting on their chests. They had been completely taken by surprise, and they had not even breath enough left to cry out, but lay still and listened to what was going on about them. This is what they heard. "'Ye are arrested in the name of the law,' a gruff voice was saying. "'Move on! Move on! Move on!' "'One moment, officer,' a second voice interrupted. "'Imprison these young persons, if you are so disposed, "'but pray allow me first my little opportunity to practice on them. "'This young lady, <clears throat> we will begin by extracting that large molar on the upper left-hand side. "'We will then have out two or three. Uh-uh. "'A series of hoarse grunts, and what had been sitting on Rudolph rose up and rushed at the last speaker. "'No, no. Big Chief first. Big Chief Thundersnorer take two fine scalp ha ha there was a confused sound of struggling and voices arguing and in another moment ann was relieved of her burden which with a mighty moo got up and joined the others ann sat up and clung to rudolph while the nightmare who was standing close beside her laid a protecting hand upon her shoulder when she saw what had been holding her down she gave a little shriek it was a small spotted cow in a red flannel petticoat. She wore stout buttoned boots on her hind feet, and she now reared herself upon these to flourish two angry hoofs over the sleek head of a little man in a white linen coat who held a tiny mirror in one hand and a pair of pincers in the other. Anne took a great dislike to this little man at once and felt more afraid of him than of the cow or of the handsome Indian chief in full war paint feather headdress and all, who was brandishing his tomahawk, sometimes in the face of the little dentist, again under the turned-up nose of a large fat policeman who stood with folded arms the only calm member of that much-excited group. The nightmare stepped forward and put himself between the children and the bad dreams. "'Look here, you fellows,' he said quietly. "'You may as well stop this nonsense first as last. You haven't got any business here, and well you know it. If the boss finds you've been disposing of any prisoners without his permission, well, you know what'll happen. That the bad dreams did know was to be seen by their foolish, scared expressions. The Indian chief, with a disappointed grunt, replaced his tomahawk in his belt and seated himself cross-legged on the grass, drawing his blanket closely about him. The policeman stopped murmuring, move on. The cow dropped clumsily on all fours and began to crop the bushes. Even the little dentist put his pincers back into his pocket, though he still looked wistfully at Anne, who avoided his eye as much as she could. This was a very terrifying company in which the children found themselves, and in spite of the comforting presence of the friendly nightmare, they felt very doubtful of their present safety, not to speak of what might be done to them once they were in the clutches of that dreadful boss whom even the bad dreams seemed to be afraid of. "'He has all the fun anyway,' snorted the cow, switching her tail. "'All the choice bits of torturing. "'Why, I've not had so much as a single toss since I've been on this job. 
No, I haven't. And she shook her sharp curved horns at Ann. Not a tooth out yet, complained the dentist. Not a single one. He sighed, glancing from Ann to Rudolph and from Rudolph back again to Ann, as if he expected they might be coaxed into presenting him with a full set each. "'Tis himself does all the arrestin', muttered the policeman sadly. "'Big boss chief take all good scalp,' thundersnorer the Indian grunted. The children began to think this boss must indeed be a terror. "'Now, come, come,' continued the nightmare soothingly. "'It's not so bad as that. You all get plenty of fun.' but you mustn't mix it up with bidness. We're in a row now, every one of us, for being out of bounds. Better move along and have it over. That's my advice. The policeman looked more cheerful. That's it, cried he. Move on. Anne put her little arms around the nightmare's neck and whispered something in his ear. He turned to the cow and said, Madam, this young lady wishes to know if anything has been seen or heard of another prisoner. A small fat one called Peter. Sir, said the cow, he was taken just a little while ago. That's why we four went off in a huff. We wanted a little fun with him, just a bit of our pretty play, you know. But the boss wouldn't have it. He's saving him up for the banquet, and not one of us is to be let at him till after that. Rudolph and Ann looked at each other, both suddenly remembering the Sandman's warning that on no account were any of them to taste the bad dream's food. Could Peter be expected to refuse any kind of refreshments at any time? They knew that he could not. Come, cried Rudolph, pulling at the nightmare's arm. Take us to him, please. We've got to hurry. The nightmare obligingly stepped forward, leading Anne by the hand, and the bad dreams, to the children's surprise, rose meekly to accompany them. It was decided that the cow should go first, to clear a way through the forest by her simple method of trampling down everything before her. The Indian walked next, stepping softly and silently on his moccasined feet, and turning now and then to make a horrid face at the children who followed behind him, one on either side of the nightmare. The dentist and policeman, walking arm in arm, brought up the rear. The party had not gone a great distance through the wood before Anne and Rudolph noticed that the underbrush was growing thinner and the trees beginning to be taller and farther apart. At last they could see through a veil of branches the light of a fire burning on the ground, not a great distance ahead of them, and soon they came close to the enormous oak tree under which this fire was kindled. Its flames were a strange bluish color, and as they shot up into the darkness, which was almost complete under the shade of that great tree, the children could plainly see strange figures showing black against the light, leaping and dancing around the fire. "'The party's begun, but not the banquet,' whispered the nightmare. "'You can come a little closer, but you mustn't interrupt till it's over.' In silence they all moved a little nearer to the cleared space under the tree, but not so near as to be discovered. Rudolph and Ann gazed anxiously at the scene before them. First of all they noticed that the fire was not an ordinary fire, but a huge blazing plum pudding which accounted for the queer color of its flames. It was stuck full of bits of crackling holly and dripped sweet-smelling sauce in every direction. On the other side of the fire, just opposite to them, was a moss-grown log, and on this log sat Peter. His big brown eyes, shining with excitement, were fixed on the dancers passing before him. His little nose sniffed the burning plum pudding with great satisfaction. 
As soon as her eye fell on her little brother, Ann started toward him, but the nightmare held her back. "'No use,' said he. "'Wait a bit, and I'll tell you when the real trouble's going to begin.' The children had no choice but to obey, and their attention was soon occupied by the strange sights before them. As one odd figure after another sprang out of the dark into the firelight, capered and pranced, and then disappeared into the blackness again, Anne and Rudolph drew closer together and squeezed hands, very queer feelings creeping up and down their backbones. The strangest part of it all was that among the crazy company were many whom the children did not see for the first time, who were old acquaintances of theirs. There, grinning and brandishing his stick, was the little black man who had worried Rudolph many a night as far back as he could remember. There was the old witch on the broomstick whom Anne had often described to him. There again were other bad dreams that made the children almost smile as they remembered certain exciting times. The angry farmer, Rudolph had seen him before, he remembered his fierce expression, yes, and his short black whip too. Also the cross cook, her fat arms rolled up in her apron, and... I'm going to tell your mother, written plainly on her round red face. A great white jam-pot danced just behind the cook, and was followed by a dozen bright green apples. A dancing-master came next, bowing and smiling at Peter as he passed him, then a bear paddling clumsily along on its hind legs, its great red mouth wide open to show its long white teeth, then a gooseberry tart marked stolen, then an arithmetic with a mean sort of face, rulers for legs and compasses for arms. Then a clock that had been meddled with by somebody, Rudolph felt certain it was not by him, and kept striking all the time. Then a piano with a lot of horrid exercises waiting to be practiced. Then, last of all, a familiar clumsy figure with one red glaring eye. Their old enemy, the warming pan. As Rudolph was trying to take in these and many others in that curious throng, he felt himself sharply pinched by Anne. "'Look, look,' she whispered, "'over there where it's so dark, close to Peter. "'Oh, don't you know now who their boss is?' Rudolph looked. Clearly enough now he saw two flaming green eyes and a clumsy black figure crouching on the ground. Before this figure every one of the dancers made a low bow as he passed." "'Don't you know him?' repeated Anne, shivering with excitement. "'It's man under the bed!' "'Oh, well, what if it is?' whispered Rudolph. "'I stopped bothering about him years ago. He's only for babies.' Anne was not deceived by Rudolph's cheerful tone. "'Man under the bed might not amount to much at home, with nurse and mother to frighten him away. But here, in his own country, it was not pleasant to meet him.' "'He's horrid,' said she. Oh, look, Rudy, what is he doing now? Man under the bed had stretched out a long black arm and pointed to the fire. Instantly the bad dreams stopped their dance and vanished into the darkness. When they came again into the firelight, the children saw that the cook, the dancing master, and several others carried large dishes in their hands, which they now presented with low bows to Peter. It's the banquet, whispered the nightmare nervously. If he touches a morsel, he's lost. He'll go to sleep and dream bad dreams for ever and a day, which won't be pleasant, I assure you. Anne and Rudolph had not waited for the nightmare to finish his speech. 
they rushed on Peter just as he had helped himself to an enormous slice of mince pie, and while Anne threw her arms about his neck, Rudolph snatched the tempting morsel out of his hand and cast it in the fire. Of course Peter struggled and fussed and was not a bit grateful, but Rudolph and Anne did not care, for the nightmare's warning rang in their ears. Meanwhile, the bad dreams had gathered round the children in an angry circle, and man under the bed growled out, "'Seize em, some of you! Where's that fat policeman?' "'Here, sir!' Very much against his will, the policeman had been pushed forward till he stood in front of the children, hanging his head and looking very uncomfortable. "'Arrest them, why don't you?' shouted the boss. "'Please, sir!' "'I have,' muttered the policeman humbly, shifting from one foot to the other, and looking more and more unhappy. "'Then do it all over again, and be quick about it, or—' Man under the bed made a terrible face at the policeman, who shivered, and edging up to Rudolph laid a timid hand on his shoulder. "'No, you don't,' cried Rudolph. "'I'm not afraid of you.' And he gave the policeman a poke with his sword, just a little one, about where his belt came. The policeman gave a frightened yell, doubled up as if he had been shot, and ducking under the shoulders of the crowd made off into the darkness. Man under the bed was furious. The children heard him roar out a command, and then the bad dreams advanced on them in a body. The leaping, dancing flames of the plum-pudding fire showed their angry faces and strange figures. Rudolph was not really afraid now, for he saw at once that the bad dreams were not much at fighting. Yet there were so many of them that by sheer force of their numbers they were slowly but surely pushing the three children back, back, until they were crowded against the trunk of the great oak tree where man under the bed had been crouching. He had run to fetch a great branch of burning holly from the fire, and holding this like a torch above his head, he pressed through the crowd toward Rudolph and dashed it almost into his eyes. Rudolph shrank back, half-blinded by the glare, and bumped sharply into Peter, who in turn was pushed violently against Anne, who had set her back firmly against the tree-trunk. The tree, as she described it afterward, seemed to give way behind her, and she fell backward into soft, smothery darkness. Peter fell after her, and Rudolph on top of Peter. The little door which had opened to receive them snapped to again as if by magic, and from the other side of it the triumphant howls of the bad dreams came very faintly to their ears. End of chapter 13